Morning, church family. Delight to be with you. Isn't it a beautiful day today? How spectacular out. And um, we get to be at the very end of our book study in Thessalonians. If you would turn your Bible open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 12. And as you turn there, I'd like to remind you a little bit about um, the book itself. So it's written, if you missed part of this, it's written to this group of young believers. Uh, many of them, most of them had only been believers for maybe six months, and they were um, facing all kinds of challenges and opposition in their culture and the people around them. And Paul and Silas and Timothy are wondering how they're doing, and so they send Timothy back, and he, he discovers that this is a group of people actually that are thriving in Christ. They're, they're having this influence that they couldn't imagine um, beyond what their expectation was, and the whole reason people are coming to faith in the Lord, and it's very exciting what God is doing. And in the middle of that, they still have a lot of growth. They've got questions, as new believers do. They're wondering about how to continue to grow in the faith and when Christ is coming back. They've got a list of questions. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy write this letter to these growing believers who had been changed. They had experienced the change of what the gospel does to us, the good news that, that Jesus loves us unconditionally and he died on the cross for us so that we might have relationship with him. So these young believers are being written this wonderful letter of 1 Thessalonians, and now we find ourselves at the very end of it with um, some really encouraging words. And I just wanted to remind you of how the letter started, because it matters to understand the end of the letter. These words from the very beginning of the letter, starting in chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, We, that is Paul, Silas, and Timothy, Give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's that, that those three virtues, characters of the Lord that he passes on to us that he often, Paul often writes about, faith, hope, and love, right? right. So right there at the beginning of the letter, we discover that. Verse 4, for we know brothers. Now that word specifically is a word to sisters too, right? It's not exclusive. It's not just masculine. And it's speaking to something actually really rich that you might miss unless you think about what's happening and you understand their writing. So I write you, for we know brothers, that you are loved by God and you are chosen. We, we spent some time thinking about that because the letter speaks to us and this wonder that you are loved by God. How in the world, Don, are you loved by God? Man, I just don't, I, I don't know either how I am loved. And yet God, in his grace, we discover, loves us specifically and individually to draw us to himself. And so, the scripture said at the very beginning, we are loved and chosen because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, and it changed you. That's what happens. So that's the introduction. Now we're going to find the conclusion of the letter. 
And God had chosen them just like he's chosen us who walk with him and have placed our faith in him. And something powerful was happening in them just like it's happening in us to change us. And there's a word that frames that, um, that change as it happens. And it's this word brother or brotherhood actually is a better way to understand the word that involves all the sisters in the crowd too. I mentioned that the message this morning um, was going to be entitled The Brotherhood, and someone said, oh, it sounds a little bit like a cult. And um, I was chuckling to myself, yeah, it kind of, it does a little bit, right? But here's the thing, I thought about that, that the cults themselves, what do they seek to foster? They, they seek to foster a belonging. Like they speak to people who are lonely and at the margins that need family, And they only need family because the family of God has not embraced them, perhaps. Because this this has been designed, this room, and all the different languages that happen in our fellowship and all the different worship expressions, we are designed to be men and women of family. So take a second and um, turn to someone who is not in your immediate family, but is in your family here. And just turn to them and say, I'm so glad you're part of this family. Would you do that just right now? Just turn around and somebody say, hey, man, I'm just, I'm just really glad you're part of this family. <laughs> if, if someone did not do that with you, can I just personally say that to you right now? Tom, did someone do that for you? Okay, good. Um, I, I'm so grateful that you are part of this family. I just feel humbled to be a brother in Christ to you, and I'm thankful that you're part of this family. So, um, this word brother or brotherhood it occurs five times in today's passage, and it refers to brothers and sisters in Jesus who have been drawn together into a distinctive Christian community. That's what God is doing. This word, it captures the relational essence of the church. And here at the beginning of this letter, the brotherhood gets some parting instructions about how to do life together. How do we do life together? So let's listen to the word of God, starting in verse 12 and going on to the end of the chapter. This is the word of God for us this morning. We ask you, brothers, it's the brotherhood, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good. To one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. That is, make you like Jesus completely. 
And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. And he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers of brotherhood, right? With a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So at the end of the letter, um, Paul, Silas, and Timothy give some very specific practical instruction about how we do life and life together as the brotherhood, as the church, as a church family. And let's look at it exactly. So here's the first counsel. And really, I want to divide this into three sections. The the first section is how we relate to pastors and ministry leaders, people who are holding a place of leadership, service leadership in the church, verses 12 to 13. And anytime I see this in Scripture, right, it gets really awkward for me to actually be speaking about something that it's encouraging us as a church family with. But but here's what's important for us to understand. So Lucas, Luke has informed us in the book of Acts that there are two people who are, receiving, who are in the role kind of as chief servants in this church in Thessalonica. They are Aristarchus and Secundus, guys you probably haven't heard a whole lot about because they are fulfilling a role as leaders, as servant leaders. They're not looking for attention. And this is the instruction that they get. But we ask you, brotherhood, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. Now, here's the deal. The reason why leadership in the church gets so messed up is because leaders sin and the church sins, right? We're broken, messed up people. And so we often get it wrong. Think about the history of the church and how screwed up it gets sometimes, right? And it goes with pendulums, as I see it. On one side of the pendulum of being really messed up in the church are those leaders who hunger for attention and respect and authority and power over you. And it creates an environment in the church that really is heavy-handed and authoritarian, So people in the role of leadership, whether that's as lead or pastors or they're leading a a youth ministry or they're doing some other kind of ministry and they're leading it, they start to to grab hold of attention. They forget Jesus' counsel in Mark chapter 10, right, that says if you want to be great, learn to be a servant. Like lay it down and serve people. That's That's what God is calling every person who holds a place of leadership in the church to act like first and foremost. So where we get it messed up is when leaders start dressing, wearing funny outfits and trying to be authoritative like that, or the structure of the church gets really hierarchical and really top-down to people, and it messes up with the counsel of God. Like, what's the purpose of the church? And what's the purpose of those people who lead? We understand in Ephesians chapter 4, starting verse 14, um, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, that says that we ought to be people who equip. So it says this in verse 11 of Ephesians 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd and teachers, 
He gave them these gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And who leads people to maturity? All of us. Like it's all our responsibility. People in leadership, they're there to equip and to encourage and to say, yeah, go get it, because that's what we're all doing. We're all ministers. Every one of us is ministers. So when the church gets way out of whack, they forget this counsel. And they start, people in leadership start grabbing hold of places they should never grab hold of. And it really messes up the church. And so that's where you see, like even today, people running from Christianity because they've seen the authority thing taken advantage of and sin kind of spills out. And people that are not believers, they look at that and they say, look at all the abuses that have happened in whatever church. And they want no part of Jesus. It's horrible. And I just, I just want to say this honestly, man, if you ever see that in any of our leaders, starting with me, please call me out. That's your job as a church, right? We don't ever want to act like that or behave like that because that's not what God wants. And there's another side of the pendulum, right? So that's the authoritative grasping for power and roles that they should never play part. And there's another part of the church that would say, yeah, well, we shouldn't, we don't need, that's the very reason we don't need leaders. Like everyone is just egalitarian and people don't fulfill their roles, right? But what happens without a leader? What's happening with a place that, that's just sheep, right? They just wander around and like they're, they get into trouble and the churches go off left field with doctrine. They don't know what to believe and they, they don't understand scripture. And there's a role for everybody to play in the body of Christ, right? And no role is above another role. Every role is important. Your role as ministers are equally important to my role. And every other pastor in here, we are jointly the brotherhood, the sisterhood, right? We're all in this together. But the church can get itself in really problematic settings when we don't get this right. So they speak into that to help them understand this. And this passage uses three descriptive phrases of our leaders that should give us perspective. Here's the first one. It says, they are those who labor. That is, they're, they're, they're the ones that work hard. Actually, the original word means manual labor. People who like bust their tail, they really get after it. They work hard. And you should have, rightly have that expectation for people in leadership, whether it's people that are in the role of staff or people in ministry lead- leadership, whatever it might be, of your elders, that they're ones that work hard. They labor at it. They do that to please the Lord, right? Not to please people, but they really are dedicated. So that's the first. They are people who labor, who put in the sweat equity of ministry to honor Christ. And they are people who are it says, over you in the Lord. Not over you as in lording over, because we already went there, right? Matthew says, they're the ones who are chief servants. But the word actually means they're the ones that go first. They're the ones that choose, because of God's calling on their life, to be first in the battle lines. I'll go first, I'll take the shots. That's, that's who the leaders are called to be. 
people who protect those behind him and who go into the battle first, people who are the lead and caring. So the, the text is helping us understand a perspective on leadership that's really different, right? It, that's not the world's perspective on leaders, but it's how leadership should happen in the church. And finally, those who admonish you, that's speaking specifically of those who give ethical instruction. That word admonish is often, most often in Paul's writings, connected with the word for teaching. And so the phrase is speaking about those people who would, like an older sibling, like keep you on the track. I have a, an older sister. She's two and a half years older. Her name's Vicki. And um, Vicki was a little bit more, right, Dad, uh, black and white than her younger brother, who was often pushing the envelope. That was me. I was often pushing the envelope, seeing what I could get away with. I have a long list of things I haven't, still haven't told my dad about. But my sister, like, her role in my life was to keep me from getting shipwrecked, right? To keep reminding me of the right way to go. And that's what it's speaking of here. We serve that function. Leaders equip and encourage and at times admonish to say, you know what? I, I see that in your life and it's, it's going to wreck you. It's sin. Listen. Heads up to that. Now, you might not want to hear that sometimes. You hear me talk about it up here sometimes, what sin is. You don't, you know, like, you get mad at me. That's all good because, again, that's the role that I am called to play and others in your life are called to play. Okay, so we are those who labor and who are over and who are admonishing people. And that should birth out in all of us a healthy respect of those people who lead, who lead in the nursery, who lead in youth ministry and children's ministry and other roles that we have here. Give them a healthy respect. And there is an element, we're told, of relational affection and love for our leaders. Hopefully, that gets fostered in a healthy community of faith. And that leads to peace. It leads to right relationship with one another when we get the leadership component right. Our next instruction concerns all of us, how we relate to one another, verses 14 through 15. In this portion of our passage, it addresses the entire brotherhood. Everybody who is involved in what God has called us to be involved in, this church family. And we urge you, brotherhood, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, this instruction probably wasn't like chief on your radar as you walked in this morning. When you walked into church, you thought, okay, there's a few things that I really need to be engaged in with the people in this fellowship because I'm part of their family. So I'm going to go there with them. This instruction really is interesting what is listed for all of us to be a part of, right, as we relate to one another. First, we are to admonish the idol. Like those people who are letting their face slide, your role is to kick them in the tail. Is to say, hey, let's go together. Let's, let's get after it. Let's pursue Jesus together with everything that we have. That's our role as a family of God, to not let anybody along here in the fellowship just let their faith rest and not engage in the mission. 
And that mission statement we have, that last word, capture that last word. We do this, we pursue Jesus together. It doesn't happen individually. It doesn't happen separately. We pursue Jesus together. And so we are, at, we are to admonish, that is to correct, those people who are idle in view of eternity. Now, remember the context of this. He's just spoken at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 that Jesus is coming back soon. And that should capture our passion to walk with him and, and, and to follow him and to, to spur each other on in the faith. And so in view of that, we admonish people who are just coasting. Don't coast. Like we don't have enough time to coast. And we are to encourage the faint-hearted. The language specifically there, the faint-hearted is talking about those people who struggle with anxiety or depression. Those people who are way down. Now, I know there are people that came here this morning in our church fellowship that are just anxious about circumstances in their life or family members or people who are struggling with depression. Your role is not to spout 17 verses to bring condemnation on them, make them feel ugly. What's our role? Yes, it's to pour courage into their lives, right? To help them walk with the Lord faithfully this week so that they would find a place here in the body of Christ that, oh, it's refreshing to them. And they can find health and they can find the energy and perspective and wholeness to live fully for Jesus this week. And we are to help the weak. That word weak specifically is getting at our self-control people who are struggling with self-control or addiction. And the language there used of our role in them is to help pick them up and to walk with them. Those people who are struggling with self-control, you have a duty in their life. And, And that's to come alongside and to encourage their walk with the Lord and help them see that together we're going to walk with the Lord. We're going to do this together. And then it says, be patient with them all. Not one person falls through the cracks. And that's a convicting truth, right? Because I grow impatient with people. I don't know about you, but I certainly do. I can grow impatient. And this is telling us every person I am to be patient with. Even the people that are rude to me. I was confessing this this morning. I was rude to somebody unintentionally, totally unintentionally. And I had to humble myself and confess that before that person and seek their forgiveness. And they were so great to forgive me. It's so easy to grow impatient with one another, isn't it? Um, Think about your week, right? You grew impatient when you were on the road with traffic. You grew impatient at school or work or wherever you were. This counsel is really critical for the healthy life of the church to be patient with all people, even those that are struggling or tempted in ways that you're not tempted or wrestling. Verse 15, and see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. So in one verse, it gives us a distilled Sermon on the Mount right there, right? It's not like Old Testament. We don't live into Old Testament law, like take vengeance in your own hand and an eye for an eye. That, that's not how the Christian community operates. 
That's not how Christ followers operate. We are told to turn the other cheek, right? To let people see what Christ, right here, the body Christ given for us, his sacrifice for us, help them understand in the flesh and blood what that looks like, what kind of sacrifice that looks like. Live that kind of life out. And what great practical counsel this, this stuff is, right? You probably didn't come to church thinking, wow, that, that's my, my role. So I need to look for somebody who's weak right now and stand alongside with them or struggling with anxiety and pour courage into their life. I, there's a role that each of us have in the body of Christ. And when we live it out, all of a sudden people get healthy and start walking with Jesus in a more healthy way. And then this next section concerns how we live out our worship together, verses 16 through 22. Actually, 16 to 26, but 16 to 22, that piece speaks specifically to instructions for how we do worship together. And in this portion of the word, every verb is plural, which means it's addressed to all of us. When you've studied this text before here at the end, perhaps you've read it and you've thought about your personal devotion and you've thought a list of things you're going to need to do and you've thought in a personal context, but this is actually corporate instruction. Us as a church, as a church family, we are to rejoice always. That doesn't mean go around and wear a fake happy face, right? That's not what it's talking about at all. I was um, in prayer uh, earlier with a, a group of people. We meet at 8.30 in the morning, and you're always invited. So we meet at this room right behind there and just to pray for things. And we were talking about this, about our role in rejoicing always and how challenging that is, right? Sometimes we just we struggle with it. And I was thinking, you know, when I struggle the most with rejoicing, it's consistent. Um, it's because I've taken my eyes and just focused on myself and my own circumstances and my own wants and desires, and I start doing a comparison game, and I no longer am rejoicing. When I'm rejoicing always, it's when I stop navel-gazing and I start looking to the Lord and His goodness and all that He's done for me. And our relationship and that he's loved me and he's chosen me as we saw in chapter 1. That, man, how can I not take joy in that? There are all kinds of circumstances that could bum me out or relationships that can bum me out. But God doesn't. And what God has done for me, that my salvation and my eternal life, that doesn't bum me out ever. That, That draws me to rejoice in him. So rejoice always as a corporate fellowship. Lean into that. Psalm 13, 5 says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Psalm 40, 16, But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation continually say, Great is the Lord! Psalm 118.24 says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us, you know it? God, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm going to say it because you need a reminder. Rejoice. All right. Family of God, this should, like, this should be us. 
Like people should walk in and walk away from here, maybe their first experience to say, man, I want a piece of that because there was a lot of rejoicing. And I know some of those people are walking through really difficult circumstances and they're rejoicing. I want to be part of that. But last night I got a call from a dear family. And um, their, uh, the husband, the dad, the granddad is soon going to be with the Lord. And uh, in the next probably 48 hours. And so they called me and I went over to the house and um, it's this extended family. There was like 30, 35 people in the room. I was jammed around this hospital bed around my friend, Sam. And uh, I love this guy. I love this family. And uh, the, the cool thing about it is this is a family, extended family who loves Jesus. And this couple has influenced. And so there's all these aunts and uncles and all these other people that are in the room. And we, like a memorial service breaks out. This guy's still living, right? But it, the encouraging thing was that he was able to partake in it. So we just started singing hymns. Someone had an old Baptist hymnal, and we started singing all these old songs, right? It was really cool. And um, all these songs that were really precious to this couple. His wife is sitting next to him, and we're singing these songs. And we prayed together. And then I said, hey, why don't we just thank the Lord for all God has done through Sam? Like, usually, we say that at a memorial service, and the guy doesn't get to hear it, or the woman doesn't get to hear it, right? So, so this was really cool, and for the next hour or so, we were just speaking, rejoicing in the Lord, and thankful for what God had done in this life. And I thought, wow, isn't that, isn't that the way the family of God should operate always? The, the healthy family rejoices in every circumstance. Next we're told, verse 17, pray without ceasing. Keep praying. Here, it's speaking of corporately and our life groups. Every time you're gathered together, make sure prayer is a priority for all of us. And always pray. Be dogged about your life of prayer. Keep after it. When Jesus is giving this instruction, he's, um, he's trying to help people understand how significant this piece is in our spiritual journey. And he gives a parable, a story. Luke describes this time where Jesus gives this story, uh, starting in verse 1. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. And not lose heart. Not stop praying, but pray continually. Jesus said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. I love how that's put, right? And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, those he's chosen, us, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... 
Will he find faith on earth? Will he find us praying continually? Is that what he's going to find? Knowing that the Father is just waiting for us to ask, and he loves for us to keep going, to keep asking. Don't grow tired of that or feel like he grows tired. And keep asking. This parable Jesus gives is about justice. Keep praying that God would display his justice in this world. And don't give up. And verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. Thank the Lord through every season that you go through. Because that thankfulness turns our attitude toward him. It's a result of me pointing my attention toward God that I can pray to him knowing that he's sovereign, he's in control, that he's good, that he's always faithful. And why should you do these things? That's the will of God. Like That's what it says right here. That's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you've wondered what the will of God is for you this week, here it is. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks. That's not a big list, right? We could all participate in that as a fellowship together. That's the will of God for this church that we do that. And then he leans into a set of cautions for our community. Do not quench the spirit. For we're to be a spirit-driven and inspired brotherhood. Right? So don't quench the spirit. How do you quench the spirit? Let me ask you, did you walk into church today? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. With any unconfessed sin. That's what quenches the Spirit of God in me. In a moment, we're going to give you opportunity. We're going to come to the Lord's table, which is your table too, right? And we come to remember Him. And the instruction at the Lord's table is to confess first. Get right before the Lord. And so in just a few minutes, we're going to come to the Lord's table, and Harry's going to come up and play a hymn, and as he does, we're going to just lay our heart before the Lord open. Say, God, here it is. And know that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and right, make it right, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and he loves to do that. So don't quench the spirit. I can do that with sin harbored inside. And when I'm not pursuing the Spirit of God, saying, God, I I want you to make decisions in my life. I want to look at your word and follow your counsel, and I want you to be the guide in my life and to lean into that this week. That's how we become a Spirit-driven community. And do not despise prophecy. So they didn't have the New Testament, this early group of believers. They didn't have the blessing that we have of all of Scripture And they had leaders, apostles, that would speak the word of God into them, that would come with conviction. And when that happened, they are told to measure it against Scripture, to test it out. There are people in our fellowship who are gifted to use Scripture and to bring conviction. If that's your gifting, I want you to unleash it, right? To speak well, but make sure that you do that according to the counsel of God's word. We have all that we need here in Scripture for us to follow him faithfully. But we also need to listen to the encouragement of one another as we speak out God's truth into each other's lives. Don't despise that, Scripture says. You might get really irritated with people, but don't despise it because God's going to be using that work. 
and test everything and hug, hold fast to what is good. Test the word, weigh it against Scripture. Does it affirm the gospel of God's grace and truth? Is it trustworthy? Is it true? Then act on it. And when this instruction emphasizes the right things, it helps our whole community listen to and apply God's word. Finally, abstain from every form of evil. Wow, (laughs) that's a big list, right? Did you hear what it said? Abstain from every form of evil. And in our community, and our culture today, there's a lot of forms of it. And it's so easy to compromise on one thing. To feel like, yeah, I've got all this squared away in my life, but this one thing I'm just going to compromise on. And that damages not only you, but it damages the church and the reputation of Jesus. So abstain from it. And now this benediction Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. That is, make you holy, make you like Christ completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body, every piece of you, be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his plan for us as a church and as individuals. He who calls you is faithful. You realize that? We're not, but he is, and he will surely do it. This is his agenda for you and for me and for everyone here, and he's faithful. He will accomplish that in the context of what they've been writing about, that Jesus is coming back soon. He's coming. This is a powerful word, emphasizing again at the end of the letter, and he's faithful. So brothers, brotherhood, pray for us. And greet all the brothers with a holy kiss, like saying, be affectionate. I mentioned this in the first service because my friend Sharon Bailey was here. We had a, a memorial service a Saturday ago, um, a Saturday ago for her, her husband, Norm. Uh, I mentioned this last week. And what struck me about that service was that Sharon was at the front door when people came. There's like 150 people here. You know what she did? She stood there and she hugged and kissed every person that came in. She's really good at that, right? It created this amazing atmosphere of people. I mean, there were people who didn't know Jesus that came to that service and they experienced it. It says in this word, express affection as a family member to people. And that's great counsel for us. I put you under oath before the Lord, verse 27 to have this letter read to all of us. Make sure everyone understands this counsel and instruction. It's much like the end of Colossians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you until the day that Jesus comes or you are called to be with him personally, face to face. Live this out. Be dedicated to the growth of each person in this family. Spur each other on. And together, let's rejoice in the Lord. Always pray continually and give thanks.
Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.